Hello, Rachel. Sorry, you just caught me off guard with How are you? You doing all right, brother? I don't like this. (laughs) I do not like this. (laughs) You you love it. You love it. You fucking love it. You yum it. I fucking don't. (laughs) You you yum yum it. I fucking don't. You joined in, so you do. I fucking don't. So I'm Ryan, that's Rachel. We are a married uh, item, I guess. And we Married item? We're no longer freshly married, so no, we're now just we an would, item. You would typically say married couple. Well, we have our own individuality. Yeah, but... There th- you go. But so, married is the indication of the relationship be- of the two people to each other or more than two people. You love in it. Our case, you love in our it. case, it's just the two of us, so we are a married couple. Oh, I don't want to narrow it down. Maybe we want to Maybe we want to add, like... like no. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no bigamy allowed. Transworms eating people, yes. No bigamy. I didn't say we had to marry someone else in. To see. Does it still count as bigamy if one of you is like if two of them are married but there's just another one there, but you're not trying to marry them, right? That's what bigamy is, right? Yeah, is it there's equal status. I'm if not saying that not, we commit bigamy. It- <laughs> We're the bigamy podcast (laughs) where we talk about bigamy and bigamy laws and how cool it is. I think if it's not a sister wife (laughs) or sister husband, brother husband, I don't know what situation. If it's not like multiple wives or multiple husbands, then it's just like polyamory. There you go, or an open relationship. This is so much more interesting than the episode we're actually discussing. So, There's going to be a lot of devolving conversations away from discovery. So yeah, that's it. We we're, we're the yum we're yum yum podcast because we have that yum yum and yum yum is we in got reference that yum yum. Cha. We uh, of course that's a reference to Star Trek Discovery, which is the show that we are discussing. We are rewatching Star Trek Discovery and giving our thoughts on the episodes. And what season and what episode are we doing today? We're Ryan? up to season three, and we are up to episode. Let's see if my memory can. remember. Remember it, episode eight. If memory serves. If memory serves, is it is it episode eight? Is it episode eight? Because it must be an even number one if I'm reading it. Yes, episode eight. Um, if people have not seen Star Trek Discovery, spoilers, of course, because we are rewatching it and we are talking about how it all fits together and how it all um, feels. So there you go. You've been warned about that. And as always, we have so much to talk about. So consider this your requisite spoiler warning for the day. And this one is called The Sanctuary. The fun fact about this episode is it is the lowest rated episode of the entire show, coming in at a staggering 5.6 on IMDb. Yeah. Only a 5.6. Only it's... a 5.6, which is Ooh. which is a which is actually surprisingly low for 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 this show. Um so the plot according to IMDb and I like that they have one um because it's more than the episode. Uh it goes as such. The USS Discovery crew travel back to Book's home planet to help rescue it from Osira the formidable leader of the Emerald Chain. Stamets and Adira continue their search for valuable information on the origin of the burn. I, I, I just want to have a nitpick with your comment there. What? There's a difference between a plot and a synopsis. Yeah. And that was 
a vague synopsis. Oh, okay. Soz, soz, I retract it all. This was a great episode filled with many synopses. I don't want to give any credit to this episode having anything related to an actual plot, even a plot summary on an external website that somebody, maybe it's CBS, put up there. CBS All Access. Let's just jump in to our history and our thoughts on, because I think the two are going to be very the same comment. I thought this episode sucked when I saw it the first time, and I thought it sucked when I watched it today. It has not changed. It, to me, is not the worst episode of the season, but it is definitely one of the bottom ones. Definitely in the bottom three. I think People of Earth is still a worse episode than this, but this is a close close second to that. I I think this episode is boring, tedious, and the word I would use to describe it the most is embarrassing. This episode dr- is drenched in cringe and embarrassment. I was embarrassed watching The Sanctuary. I felt embarrassed for the cast. I felt embarrassed for the crew. And I definitely, definitely felt embarrassed for the writers because this is what they turned in. And I I just go, oh boy, you guys, you guys needed like 15 more drafts before you should have handed this bad boy in. What did you think of this episode when you saw it first and now? I thought it was awful the first time and very cringy. I think on the first viewing, my tactic was to leave the room to do housework. Yeah, to do stuff. To do no, no, to do stuff because you have a life, and it's and it reminds you that you have that, and you should be filling it with activities. You know what? I I have better things to do with my time, including all the things that I never want to do, so that they don't get done. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to empty out the fridge and clean it out. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. And he kept on being like, Rachel, where have you gone? And you I'm like, gotta... I'm just doing a thing quickly. But you're don't, missing don't... out on Osira. She's finally here. Uh, We've and... been building up to it for fucking ages, but she's here now. And you kept on pausing it and being like, no, I'm not watching this without you. Yeah, you got to suffer this too. And then on this viewing, since I knew that leaving wouldn't help, you had to watch. I had to watch, <laughs> but at maybe three moments, I literally put my fingers in my ears and started humming so I didn't have to listen. Because the dialogue, and I, and I, that dialogue, oh boy. I, I also shut my eyes for most of them as well, I think, because I was like, I'm just blocking all of this out. The obvious thing that is the recurring statement that we have made about this episode and the season and seems to be the consensus for the most part is it's boring. Um, This episode is tedious as hell. It really feels like we are wasting time, but more. No, 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 just wasting time. This is this is padding. This is so much padding because now we've watched the whole season, there was really not 13 episodes worth of story to stretch out with The Burn. The Burn did not need to go for that long. But 
that's how many episodes a season had, and they feel the need that every season has to have the overarching mystery that has to go for the whole season. This is very similar to me, and I'm so sorry to everyone listening, but I have to get on my high horse for a second. In Babylon 5, the fifth season of Babylon 5 got made after they got told that the show was going to be finished and cancelled after the fourth, but it got brought back. So the creator of that show had what he originally intended to be a three to four episode story arc and had to stretch it to 10 to 11. And that is the most despised aspect universally of that show. Because he had to stretch it out because there wasn't enough material in his brain to conjure up for the 22, 25 episode season. So he had to stretch out a three episode arc to 10. It reminds me of that in Babylon 5 where they clearly had an, an idea... But they had to stretch it out to meet the Isn't time. That every season, though. <laughs> there are many jokes to be had here. If you're going to torture me, at least let me have some fun. <laughs> what about this episode is just ineffective at being entertainment to the point of tedium? Okay, let's look at it from structure, I guess. The overview. Mm. So this episode is about Book going back to his home planet because Osira is after him. Yes. And then since Ren is on Discovery... Who's the Andorian that they picked up a couple of episodes ago? Osira decides that she also wants to get him back. I took it as she knew Ren was with Book... Somehow, no. I um. Well, she she did already know that because we saw the conversation with her nephew before, and she, she killed wanted, him with the transplant. She, she knew if she lured Book, it would have Ren there she too. Got somehow, confirmation of that because she scanned Discovery. Yes, and they were mutually scanning each other. Oh, I scanned you all night long. Scanned me all night. So, all so, day. so, so again, the structure. Yes. So. There are these stakes. Yeah. And I meant to care what happens to Book's home planet because Michael cares about Book. Yeah. But I don't care about Michael, so I don't care about Book, so I don't care about Book's home planet. Another thing that makes you not care about Book's home planet is, and I I really do mean this, I was I, I I my biggest surprise rewatching season three is how little is actually shown. Lots of things happen off screen this season, and one of the things that makes you not care about his home planet is we don't see the repercussions of the dangerous thing that's happening to the home planet. We don't see any form of destruction from we the locusts. Told We're just told we are told that they're beginning to. To destroy harvests. We don't even or- see that. No. They couldn't even show us a so- shot of a field covered in uh, in locusts eating it, because that would mean that they'd have to animate new CGI assets instead of the blue floaty things they've had since season one, and they've just kept reusing them in different ways and just calling them new things. This time around, they added legs to them. Like, I like how can you not show that? That's just basic 101 this place is suffering from this. Show us footage of it suffering from that. But they, they don't. So that we also makes you not need care. need that money 
to go towards the boom booms. No, not even the boom booms. In the, there are boom booms. There are boom booms. You know, yes, there's there's a tremendous amount of time and effort and frankly love put into all the CG work on the show. That is not where we start. The CG work on the show is there to support the emotional story, period. But I was specifically thinking of the glitchy hologram <sighs> that Osira is when she calls down to the planet because that's there. To remind us she's a hologram. Yeah, but also because of their defense field and yeah. mm-hmm. bouncing around, right? And we can't cut away from that to show what she's saying. Yeah, to show, to show. Yeah, like what you said is this really hinges on you caring about Michael and Book's relationship, but. And them as characters. And them as individual characters to really care about his family and his character drama, but. We've only just seen them form a relationship. We've already had an issue with the fact that they weren't in one from the beginning, uh, which seems like a really odd choice because that could buy us some leeway, right? Oh, they've been together. They spent this magical year off screen. Again, everything's off screen. And by the time we come back and meet her a year later, she's in a relationship with this sexy guy, right? We could buy into it a little more because it's like, well, they've been in a relationship for a little while, right? But in this show, they only just kissed the other episode. And now we're supposed to be deathly afraid of, no, Book's brother that we've never heard of before. Oh, no, not him and his planet with the sea locusts. That's the thing, too. This feels like an Enterprise episode again in terms of... Like, Enterprise would be like, and the stakes of this episode is, one of our crew members tripped over and broke their leg on a comet, and we've got to get them out of there before the ice comes. This is like one of those episodes again, where it's like, and the and the threat is, locusts. Aren't you afraid of the locusts? Except for you can't be, because they don't even show the repercussions of the locusts. You know what? Tell me what they grow. Oh, I can't tell you. Harvests. They just have harvests. They ruined the harvest. What do they grow? What do they live on? Just fruits and vegetables. Show me what this species is like. Because most of the time, you just pass book off as human. But he's an empath. Michael Burnham, meet the sea locusts. Quijon's plague. If they're this far inland, it means we haven't had repellent for weeks. Here's another thing structural that's interesting. You said, as did the description... Book. This episode's not about Book. Because he barely gets any screen time, he barely gets any development. How does the episode start? The episode's about Book, but... around him. Does it? Does it? Yeah. Then who does the first ten minutes focus the episode on? Do you remember? Because Book's not the guy... Book is not the person of central focus at the beginning of this episode. No, no. Who opens this episode? No, George O. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. See, you forgot that because it wasn't the focus of the episode. Here's general structuring. Focus at the beginning, who the character of focus is. Like, again, simple 101 stuff. Start the episode off with the character that's going to be the story. 
book walks in after all this George O stuff, so you think, oh, this is going to be a George O episode, and then it's suddenly a book episode, and you're like, oh, okay, I guess it's about book, but they keep cutting away from book so much, and since you already had subconsciously planted in your brain, well, book isn't the focus, because if he was, they would have started off with him as the focus, correct? So you cut back to George O, you cut back to Detma, you cut back to Tilly, you cut back to Paul and Adira, and then you go back down to the planet. So we have five. We have like 15 plots. Five, so um, Saru trying to figure out his catchphrase. I guess you could call that a plot. Or thread. Well, and we could possibly split Adira's stuff into two <laughs> of the pronouns. And, uh, and the data. The, the data. You've got then... Paul and Giorgio with the medical drama. You've got Osira attacking the the planet. And you've got him down there on the planet trying to um, reconnect with his brother. Yep. That's uh, it. Like, I know, and Detmer's PTSD, how could I forget? Oh, and, and Linus was shedding. That comes up multiple times. Olma is as important as PTSD for Detmer. That, the skin shedding. I'm going to show you something amazing. The blizzard done. Mm-hmm. His name is Linus. And you can peel off a part of his face if you want. Yeah. It's a structural issue of the script and the story. You focus they, they so little on together. him in the first act. You can have episodes that have that many things happening, but they all feel distinct. So it feels like a scatter plot. Yeah. And of just being like, we have this thing over here and this thing over here, and oh, we need a comedic moment, so let's mention Linus. Shedding his skin. But again, I keep stressing this, and I keep saying it over and over again, but the order in which you present things in the episode and to the audience will tell us, the viewer, what the episode's going to be about. You can subvert that, you can do different stuff with that, but usually... That is what it is. So you open this episode up, and it's all Giorgio. Giorgio's all over the fucking store here. She's just selling out her... She's just selling gags. Hey, do you want to buy some of my gags? In fact, I'm not going to sell you them. I'm just going to fucking scream them at your face. I'm a sperm. And you just... You just go, okay, so Giorgio's the focus of this. I thought she would be the focus of the double part in next episode, but, oh, it's this. And then and then book came in, and I was like, oh, that's right. This is a book episode. It's like with Narn. Remember how we kept saying in that Narn episode, it was so funny to realize that this was going to involve her in any way because they never, they never gave us any indication that she was going to be important to this story until the back half? It wasn't as drastic in this case, but it was just like the first act of this Book is just floating around, and then he walks in and he goes, My brother, he's in trouble. We should go there. And then let's talk to the Admiral, who was also here in the episode. And he's just like, You know what? Your brother, he sounds pretty rad. Go save his life. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's Looney Tunes. Book, we're talking about him. Do you still like him? Because at the start of the season... You said he was charming, and when the show didn't have him around, it really lacked energy and presence. But now that we're rewatching it, and we have this episode where it's all book all the time, but not really, do you still like him all that much? Currently, I have to give book a yum. Yum. Is it because he didn't take his top off this episode? 
If he took it off, would they make you give a yum yum? No, no. I mean, have you seen him with his top off, though? Pretty yum yum. Him shirtless is yum yum. I will agree with you there. But he says so many dumb fucking things in this episode. And particularly the dialogue with his brother is so overwritten. And obvious. It's like, it's sickly. Oh, it's it's sickly. And also the, the, the screen that we're looking at is sickly to look at because it's piss yellow for some fucking reason. Yeah. Uh, you know, I... I the writing is so overwrought here, and we've talked about this. It reminds us of People of Earth. They're not talking like people. They're just saying exposition and or they're the writer's writing. And what I mean by that, it is the writer's just saying, this is the theme, this is the conflict, this is the arc. This they're, is their most witty response that we can come up with. These, oh, the repertoire. These people do not know one another. They just state facts about one another, but you don't feel like they're real brothers. Like, you don't feel like they're brothers who know each other, who actually have lived lives. They do not feel real. And to that point, like, it's not just that they don't feel real. And there is a certain amount of reality to they shouldn't know each other because they haven't spoken in, I think they say, 15 years. Yeah. But they never feel like they used to know each other. No. They never have that level of chemistry Mm -mm. of like a flicker of I used to know or I, I know you because of that thing. Because they do those things with him and Michael. We've seen Star Trek many a times bring in siblings fathers, grandparents, whatever it is, to come in and cause conflict. Crush's dead grandmother, for one. Oh, yeah, Crush's crushes grandmother. But obviously, Luxana Troy, there's the episode where Riker's dad comes on the ship as well. In this episode, though, what fails is, in their dynamic, and we've said it many times in Star Trek Discovery, it is unambiguous who's right and who's wrong in the scenes. His brother is never portrayed as a even momentarily sympathetic person. You never get the uh, a glimpse that this guy is a good guy. He's he is just doing wrong. A bad thing. Because he has a daughter. And that's son. it. Son. Oh, son, sorry. Cuz he has a son. But they never make you sympathetic for him in any minor way other than the basic knowledge of he has a child, which they withhold that information from us, the audience, for a majority of the episode. Until Osira brings it up. Threatens the kid, essentially. Yeah. But it's in that weird way where it's meant to be like, ooh, she's so villainous. But you she's know, threatening but you know what I'm family. Saying? But you know what I'm saying? There's not the, a moment in which they instantly start the conflict where he ambushes Book with his merry band of people who never stop Book, really. But he ambushes him immediately like, fuck you, Book, I hate you. It's like angst, 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 drama, drama, drama. There's not that one moment where he tries to be nice 
and be like, book, I'm so... There's like, no meeting of the minds attempted, really. Like, there's no. moments where they're discussing things, but it always just devolves into... Discussing? You mean just stating things? Yeah, I use the word discussing by default because they take turns talking about a particular topic. Yeah, at each other. At each other. I stopped being a T-Rex when father and grandfather started working with the Emerald Chain. And they both asked for you under death bets. You're a man of character. Or you aren't. Maybe they remembered that in the end. Oh, so righteous. Someone has to be. It goes back to the facts that there's no stakes. And you know exactly how it's going to play out. You know that Book is going to have to get over himself. And his brother is have to get over get over himself. They're going to have to both join up again, save the day, and realize that family's important, and that they're going to be in each other's lives for now on. It's so obvious, and it could still play out like that. But add some nuances to it. I can't tell you a single thing about his brother as a character. I can tell you facts that they said like 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 book has so many like again overall lines he has lines like um you're a man of good character we don't witness that you stand up for what you believe in and we then don't uh, witness Sire that it's just like you've never stood up to me they just state it show us it i do not like the episode with riker's dad but i could tell you about who riker's dad was because of actions his dad did in that episode, not just things they said about him. That's an episode I don't like, but I at least know who that man is. After all these years, I will never... I don't even know what his brother's name is. Could not tell you his name. Just watch the episode. Damned if I'll know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really think about it. You don't know his name. I know that book's name is Trex, which is T-Rex. So have fun with that in your brain. He's a dinosaur now with little arms. But he stopped being a dinosaur. He stopped being a dinosaur to become to become a bookie. <laughs> oh, far out. This is this is just so <laughs> Fuck this episode stinks. Is can, can we just go to the Utah then? No. Damn it, Ryan, why must you make me suffer? Because you must. We are shitting on this episode royally, but is there anything good in it? Was there something you liked? Was there something that you thought was genuinely well done? Anything? No. You sound unsure. Because I don't feel definitively that there, there is nothing that I can give genuine praise to. If I thought about it, there may be something that I'm like, oh, you know what, like, that wasn't as bad as the rest of it, but it still wouldn't be a genuine good thing. Can you think of anything genuinely good about this episode? Not a thing. Okay. But here's the dilemma. I don't hate this episode, yet it has no redeeming factors. It has done nothing well. It's Everything is terribly done, underbaked, overcooked sometimes, like we said with the writing, it's overwrought. But there's just so little to it. But I don't walk away going, this fucking episode, I hate it, like People of Earth. People of Earth insulted my intelligence, but this okay. is again the... the del- you ready for my analogy for this episode then? It's like the Winter Olympics. <laughs> It's like a slip and slide. 
No. Cheetos. It's always a different one. Okay, okay. Gotta go with a different one. This time, it's a cake. And they've put too much batter in the pan. So it's burnt on the edges. Mm. And still liquid in the middle. Yeah, I can look at it and go, that's meant to be a cake. (laughs) But in its state, it is not an edible cake. People still eat it because it's cake. Yes. Cake is eternal. (laughs) Cake is eternal. This episode is an example of the lower budget this season. (laughs) What? Obviously, because it takes place in the forest for most of it, and when they do go to a location on the planet, it is just some guy's house with a chandelier on it, which was really funny. We never get to see a village, we never get to understand that there's more than just some guy's house here. Um, the budget again... No harvest to be seen. No harvest to be seen. Nope. The budget definitely shows itself here by that, but also by the... what I'm going to say this is a budgetary thing as well as just laziness. Mm-hmm. Paul and Adira are in this episode doing stuff, apparently. And when we meet them immediately, they're like, oh, yeah, we did this test thing that would have been its own episode off screen again. And we figured out where the... I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. No, you're supposed to. Um, and we figured out where the burn is coming from. Um, oh, we did that I, off screen again, I, like I we do that... with most of the things that happen within this season. We've done it off screen, but you've come over, and now we're going to spend a whole scene talking about how we did it off screen instead There's of watching a, a watching map. it happen, watching the journey and the adventure happen. We just we're just going to talk s- about how it happened instead of actually doing it. Why spend a five? Why spend the whole scene talking about how you did it instead of just spending a whole scene actually fucking doing it? I don't understand. Other than is it just a budget thing or laziness? I don't know. They they have enough budget to make that massive, like, holographic version of the nebula. Yeah. They spend their budget weirdly. You, you know, one of the interesting things here is they answer the most important question of all. What? Where's that creepy music coming from? Oh. The song that everybody knows. We all care. I had a good chuckle when Tilly said, Hey, I know that song. It's familiar. And then Stamets snaps his head round and says, It's from these events, which neither of those characters were involved in. No. But- Tilly has never heard this music before. No. We but get- Tilly's like, I know this music. It's like, no, we- no, you don't. Not in the context of the show. Oh, yeah, the cutaway footage. Oh, yeah, of the other characters that were in those episodes experiencing that. Yeah. (laughs) And people could go, people could go, people could, yeah, yeah, just to remind us because we're dumb, but because the mystery is so little, what is there to remember? But you know what's interesting? People would say right now, Ryan, obviously Tilly was told about the music or Tilly heard the music herself over the over the radio waves or the whatever when on the tr- communicators when they were on the seed ship those weren't in those that was never shown in the episodes never shown again not showing not telling you know they don't know how to do that they just tell 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 but did you find this at all like why is this here why is this mystery thing here the only reason that I can kind of think it would be a reason why mm. is that 
without it, they wouldn't have a secondary mystery that points in the direction of the location. But they spend so little time on the secondary mystery, then why is it even here? You're right, though, in terms of they also needed it to bolster up the burn, because there's actually not a lot of uh, stuff to build it up. Because they don't show us the cause, like they don't show us the major effects of it in the way that you would think. And so what is what do you do? Ooh, what happens if there's this mysterious song and it leads to where the source of the burn is? But and it, I don't know how they come up with these weird steps, you know? And do you remember what the cause do you remember what the song is? It's the isn't it? It's partially the distortion of their distress signal. It's the distress signal has been distorted from the radiation that's in the yeah. planet. So it's distorted to sound like music. But all it is is just a distress signal. Yeah. People still don't know that that's what that is, even though the series has explained it, because it is so inconsequential to the grander scheme of things. Why the fuck would you remember that detail? Yeah, I remember being confused. I assumed that it was like just a subspace frequency that was carrying a lullaby. Nope. From the mum that dies. But nope. no. It's the distress signal has just been distorted to sound like a lullaby, and it's been playing throughout all of space that it's subconsciously gone into people's brains like a secret message. It's... I don't know why it's here. But, like, does this add anything to Adira and Paul's um, relationship? Because Ah. that's what all this is, right? It's in service of Paul and Adira doing stuff to bond. Yeah. But it's also just here to fill out time. That's what it feels like. That's what this whole episode feels like as well. Is Adira a good character yet for you? They're not fully a character to me. Why? They've been here for so long now. And everyone smiles and nods and says they're super smart. I love them. Even so, their work has been nothing short of stellar... They're really something. They feel more like a deus ex machina than a character. They feel like a prop for the plot. I look at Adira as this. Somebody wrote the name Adira down, wrote Trill, Dead Ghost Lover, um, Surrogate Child. And then that got blurred, like when it got faxed. (laughs) And that's how I think of Adira. That's how I think of Adira is a very faded fax of an idea because Adira is not a character that I think is a a three-dimensional character or one that deserves to even be here. I look at Adira and I I look at them and go, I can kind of see why you're here, but all the stuff that you do happens off-screen and then when you actually are on screen, it is just Paul looking at you lovingly and saying, you're special. You're great. And that's kind of it. And it's like, is that bonding? 
It's like, they're not doing stuff together. Like, we've seen Paul bond with people like Tilly. We've seen that happen. But this, it's like, it's all off screen again. And when we do see him on screen, it's just Paul saying, you know, you know Adira? You're pretty great. Or, hey, 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 Hugh, you know Adira? They're pretty great, pretty smart, pretty cool. They're like the bomb, huh? You're kind of like the bomb, huh? When they did the... Adira is going to say the pronouns stuff. Many people got turned off by it because either they are not familiar with this, they think it's a woke agenda, blah, blah, blah. All of that stuff I find to be stupid. What turned me off about it is I still don't understand why they just weren't non-binary from the beginning. I I don't think it, this added anything. It's not as if their gender identity has been a character trait we've seen ever explored up until now. So it really does just kind of feel like out of nowhere. And on a rewatch, all it, all you see in the rewatch is every now and then they have that really funny, awkward reaction shot of when somebody calls them a her and they just kind of bite their lip a little. And I'm like, okay, but that's not, that's still not a... Pl- and, okay... Here is one way that you could improve that. Yeah. Make it clear that Adira is not fully comfortable on the ship yet. Yeah. That they're not sure how trustworthy or accepting the characters are of difference and of, like, gender-related stuff. So that there's a reason that they haven't corrected people in their pronouns yet. Or the simplest thing too, don't make it that Adira... Just have it from the start? Have them start like that. Yeah, obviously, that's the obvious one. I mean, duh. But the other one being is, have Paul and Adira have an adversarial relationship to begin with and carry that through? Because basically, he's a little bit annoyed at them at the beginning and then instantly is like, I love you. You're like my child now straight away there's no like animosity towards either like between them so you could say like if there was an adversarial nature between them you could see why Adira would feel uncomfortable coming out about their gender but again it just feels it feels so awkward and why here's a question what does it matter in this episode them coming out as non-binary what does it tie to thematically? There is no answer. That's why I wasn't answering you. There's no answer. It is it just it's a scene that's here to fill out the time. And it doesn't necessarily have to have a thematic link if it felt like it had character importance. Yeah, but it doesn't have that and it doesn't have a, a thematic link. Like, again, why is it in this episode? Why wasn't it in last episode? And why if is it, it not in the one after this? Deal, why wasn't it in episode make fucking it one? from the start. If it's not a big deal and it doesn't need to be important to the plot of an episode, mm-hmm. just have them be non-binary open from the start. I've never felt like a she or, or a her, so... I would prefer they or them from now on. Osira. 
She's the villain of the season, apparently. She's the big bad. She's the gold cut of the season. She's the one we've got to shoot in the fucking face in the final episode. What do you think of her? Nothing. I think she's nothing. I think she disappears into nothing. (laughs) And I do not think about her. Well, you don't love this magnificent performance? You know, she's so captivating. She rocks those pleather pants. I guess, you know what, I'll give her this. I'll give her this. She's a commanding presence. Uh, No. I'll give her... I think that, whether you don't or not. I think... I think. <laughs> Cause, well, I say no because it goes against my point I'm going to make. She's one of the few villains I've seen in recent times in which the actor playing them genuinely has apathy. She she feels yeah. like she doesn't want to be there. I know. Um, no, I do agree with that. But this I, feels I like think... a performance held at gunpoint. <laughs> No, I I don't <laughs> don't feel that way. They're a I paycheck think... performance. Mm, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I'll put I on think... this goofy makeup and shit, but I'm not gonna fucking emote. And if so, I'm gonna do it very very little. Yeah, cause have we brought up that they didn't just paint her? They put her in all of these. Heavy prosthetics, the Andorians, they can't just paint them green. No, sorry, Andorians. Orions. The Orions, they can't just paint them green or make up, put, make their skin green. They have to put them in like this thick layer of prosthetics where they look like they're covered in wax. So, so they, it's like they're bolted in and they can't they emote and they can't turn act, their heads act through it. Because they're not Doug Jones. Because they're not Doug Jones. They don't know how to emote and act through this prosthetics. It's, 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 I think you said one time before, one of the reasons that they can't emote as well as someone like Doug Jones is they have no, um, no definition to their face on their, in the makeup. It is just blank. So with Doug. There's no parts that can move. Or looks like there's um, movement there or expression. Because with Doug Jones, right, he's in, like, makeup, but it has curves and lines and bumps and ridges and and things that accentuate expressions that he himself cannot do because he's under makeup, right? But with the Orions, it is just green skin. And so you have this thick layer of makeup that's just green and blank, with no like lines or definitions or things to uh, accentuate expression, so you just have these people who look bored while they talk at you. Yeah, because Osiris' main function is to be annoyed at everybody around her, so that's the main expression that comes through her eyes is apathy or annoyance. Because the rest of her face can't move. She's just a fucking waste of space as a villain. I I don't understand why they thought, you know what, we should tease this villain out for the whole season. And and in this episode, the the slow burn character drama about book, this is where we drop in our big bad who's like, fuck you, Federation, you're done for. When you have actually no characterization for her. I don't know how to describe her character other than she is there to be a force 
That's not a character. That is just a function of an antagonist. She is there to oppose. I think hatred is the wrong word. I think that she doesn't necessarily believe that they deserve to be held in such high esteem. She works very hard uh, for her people to advance themselves, and yet they don't enjoy the same reputation as the Federation. So I think possibly envy is a better way to go than hatred. Mental health is something that can be explored very interestingly through pieces of media. You have a keen interest in mental health stuff uh, more so than I. You watch lots of videos, read lots of stuff, you know, talk about lots of things. Yeah, and some of that is like my own stuff and mm-hmm. my own issues with mental health and people around me, particularly my family, but it's also a consequence of being a high school teacher and yeah. wanting to be aware of the mental health of my students in the way that I can help them or mm. be aware of signs of things so that I'm looking out for their welfare and doing my job when it comes to those things. But you can just cure all that if you fly real good, right? Well, well, she does explain it that is essentially an extreme version of exposure therapy because she's just like, if I just do the thing that I'm scared of, I'll be cured. And she's do- scared of flying the ship, so <sighs> she just flies the ship and she does it manually so she's the one that's fully in control. We talked about this when we had our episode with Julio, but watching it back then and now re-watching it, it's so unclear that that was what was her fear, was fear of flying, fear of driving the ship. Because of the way her PTSD worked in this show, Was like it was like it was directed at so many other things, and then when at the end it was like, if I just keep flying, with, but this time with joysticks, then I'm cured of my PTSD. Is that a way... Look... Is extreme exposure therapy something that I it would actually cure PTSD? <laughs> I'm well, pretty sure that's a big fat no. Can you just? Well, that's the thing, though, like, right? Like that's the P- thing. Like PTSD you- is very much an ongoing thing, and we've labeled it. Maybe it's more just like kind of situational anxiety mm. about her workplace performance. But we we have labelled it. I don't know because I don't listen to the extra stuff. Have the creators and the writers of the show? Oh, they've barely it. even talked about it. They they talk about it like she's just having a really tough time this season. Okay. You know, she's she's having to deal with a lot of baggage. You know, we were just so happy that we got to touch upon how hard it must have been to lose things. And again, if that's what it is, then how does driving the ship real fast cure that? If it's about loss... What did she lose? Her family and everything in the past. But we don't know anything. Exactly. Like, she, but, but Rachel, she lost things during the bi- Battle of the we Binary talked about Stars this. We talked about this with yeah. Julia. But what does flying the ship real fast do in, in conjunction with that? Nothing. 
No, but but now Jack shit. But now it's her cause. Fuck all. But now the cause of her problems is actually her her insecurities about flying the ship real good, which again, even rewatching it, it still wasn't comprehensive and clear that that was and the it issue. Could very hand. easily just be that like her anxiety elsewhere is manifested in this thing, and it's all about control. But that is not what the text I was going to say, you use the word could a lot. And that's the thing. You could go could be, could be, could be all the time with how Discovery writes plots like this because they don't spend the time on it and they don't actually have anything nuanced or deep to say about it other than they just want you to have those dramatic shots of her looking angry and Owo saying, hey, you're good. You're a good person. And then at the end... She she fist pumps in the air and is basically yelling, I'm cured of this storyline now. Yay, it's over. That's the thing. Mental health is something that you can easily explore in your story, but it feels very disrespectful when all it feels like is it was nothing but a plot. It just feels disrespectful to you know, the the issue of mental health, because obviously they're walking in wanting to say in their press junkets, we're tackling heavy issues this season, like PTSD, mental health problems, all that. And that makes you think, oh, okay, there's yeah. going to be something heavy. There's going to be something said here. But when it just well, ends... No. But when it just ends... I and, don't and think that f- about Discovery anymore. No, I know I you don't. don't. I don't I either. Don't. I do not trust them to deal with anything with actual reverence. No, no, I don't either. But- I don't think that they value anything. They don't even value the ideals of the Federation, which they keep on signposting and lampshading all about the place, but they don't actually do anything with them. They don't actually grapple with the deep hurt that it would cause members of Starfleet and the Federation to have to say that, like, Osira is doing all of these prime directive violations. And genocides. But but Admiral Vance says it kind of, like, offhand and flippantly, like, you know, this is a deep wound for the Federation, but I'm going to kind of make a a joke about it being a sport or whatever the (laughs) fuck he says. But... It's just frustrating because they have the opportunity to do these really interesting things and to give really meaningful representation to not only people who have, like, a non-cis like Adira is. Yeah. Or have experienced trauma. Like, everybody on the crew has experienced a significant trauma. Like you? Like, like Detma? Like you. Like Detma. Tilly gets that one scene where she's looking at badges and she's like, my mom's dead. But that doesn't affect her moving on. There isn't, like, a support group. There isn't. Um, a counsellor actively working. There is that one plot line with Saru trying to bring them together and then they have a big fight like a family does and then they make up and everything's fine. And it's just like, well, that's not 
how it really works. Yeah. Growth and moving forward through your mental illness is not a linear process and your mental health isn't just done and you are fine and, and you, you continue cured it. to be fine in perpetuity until maybe like another trauma comes along, especially mm. if they went and actually dealt with Detmer's mental health openly and publicly as PTSD. I am not objecting, to, and we're not objecting to the idea in a narrative that a character can find... We just want it to be done well. well yeah, but like that a character can find in a narrative um, solace and inner peace and overcome the trauma of mental health issues... But Discovery does it in a way where it's like, well, one, we needed to understand what the mental health issues were and make it feel like they're real and understandable and like things that people actually have. Something, you know, in a narrative, although mental health issues are kind of incoherently all over the place in life, in a narrative, they need to make sense to the audience in a manner. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need to understand what's wrong with Detma for me to then be okay with Detma finding peace with what's wrong with herself. I want it to have worth. I don't want it to feel like all it was was just a plot pe- a plot point to pad out the season and then you ran out of ideas so then you just said and then she flew the ship real fast and then they had a little scene in the mess hall where they pumped their fists in the air and said I am the universe biatch and that's it like oh PTSD cured just like remember how mental health issues no more it's why can't here's a bold one why can't Detmer... Ma- Michael's issues of identity are over because oh, she decided to stay on the ship. The bold thing to say is, why did Detmer's PTSD have to be a plot beat that had to have a conclusion? Why couldn't it just be, she's a character that happens to have PTSD? Why couldn't it just be oh, something yeah. that's just... It definitely didn't need to have a neat bow on it if they did decide to do it, what I'm just going to say for shorthand, properly. If they wanted to do PTSD properly, like, it do- doesn't have a neat little bow. And I don't want it to be like her character is nothing but PTSD in every episode we feature of her. Mm. She does the grimacing looks to the camera. I'm just saying you can just have characters that have experienced trauma and that's just a part of who they are we know this to work because that's a lot of star trek characters that's Worf. he's a war orphan it comes up a lot it's a defining trait of his personality and it definitely forged who he is it worked for him he was a great character i could list you 15 million characters in the star trek canon that have the exact same thing but it's not like every story is about their mental health stuff but hey we needed to cure her mental issues because we need to move on to the Emerald Chain as the big threat. We were going to explore this this season and that Detmer was going to be struggling a bit more than usual and sort of have a a weight and a guilt um, that she's carrying around for, I think, a combination of the Battle of the Binary Stars and, you know, uh, a rocky landing into the future. Speaking of looking for cures... It's the Huda. It's the Huda. It's the Huda. We opened up with He's in lots of scenes this episode. He doesn't really just smile and nod. Ah, 
Here's a thing I've never thought about before. What do you think about Hugh and Giorgio as a pair-up? I don't think I've ever really thought about them as two characters that ever would interact with one another. Okay. Okay. Here is my thought on this. I think it's fucking ridiculous. I think it's stupid. And I think it's offensive to the idea of him being a doctor. Explain. In my belief, Mm. it is general that most doctors Mm. have believe in the sanctity of life. Yes, and Giorgio needs to be saved. They want to protect human life. Mm -hmm. And most doctors, when they are faced with somebody who is tremendous, Committed atrocities. Oh, you're wanting a Star Trek story. Fuck, Rachel, you're not going to get that. No, I'm talking about Chase's storyline from House. No, you're also talking about (laughs) the fucking Crusher and the Doctor and all that. Like, there's that episode of Voyager where the Doctor is like, should I use this Cardassian Doctor's medical research even though he killed people to get it because people object to it? Should I, should I not? Mm -hmm. You're wanting an ethical drama. Yeah, I want him <laughs> to respect the ethics. So let, let me continue. That would mean you'd have to have a personality as a doctor for us to know that he has objections, but go on. So most doctors believe in the sanctity of life and protecting life, and they deal with people who don't feel that way, and they tend to respond to that person with animosity mm. because it's usually a fundamental belief that they hold and it's one that led them to becoming doctors or nurses or physicians or healers or whatever. Yeah. Right? And then he says to the Terran Emperor. To the Nazi. To the Nazi. To the woman who claims to have killed her own mother. Even though that's not true. They get to make a joke about it not being true. I mean, yeah, you've committed literal extinctions of whole species because of racial prejudice, but you're a fun chick who likes to kick and make sexual innuendos, so it's all good. The doctor says to the genocidal emperor, who claims to be nothing but pure evil. Who revels in being a racist. He says to her, a living death is not what I would wish for you. And that's interesting because why doesn't he? Because he's a doctor, he's a good man, he's a good person, he cares. And I, I see that, but I agree. Like it would, But this is what we're saying. We want a story. We would want a story in which you or somebody morally objects to the idea of Giorgio being um, treated medically because she's evil. But that would cause drama. That would be a different show. Or even, like, you know, flip it a little bit, make it about the ethical quandary. If she is resisting Mm. or denying treatment, which she is actively doing, yeah, like she is actively saying, "I don't want this," and they're just going, "It's for your own good." So she lies down on the table. 
It's like, that's not, that's not informed medical consent, which they also should be doing as physicians. Well, it's a future now, so maybe medicines and consent is different to our modern-day perspective on things. Consent is still consent. Yeah, but she's... And she's... But- just because she's being a fucking bitch doesn't mean that you get to ignore what she's saying. But that, but that's, that, that's the thing. That could be a storyline in an episode where you have the same one with... Literally, it's called Ethics in TNG, in which Crusher has her medical ethics about Worf going through a injury that, in, in his ethics, he wants to kill himself rather yeah. than be paralyzed. Another doctor thinks that she has the right medical ethics. See, it's about ethics. But what you want, we don't have the time for that. We do not have the time to talk about the metaphysics or the ethics or any of that. What we do have the time for is for Giorgio to make jokes. And for a throwaway line for Hugh to say about how he feels about having children. And that he has cold hands. I I brought up that we've not seen these two interact that often, if ever. And I bring it up because they are terrible in this scene, acting-wise. And I put it down to direction. Because in this first big scene, Hugh is sitting down in this giant chair, and he's just, like, so, like, rigidly stiff, and his head is just kind of, like, tilting around watching her walk around the room. And he's just saying these lines so stiffly and so robotically against her, who, for the majority of the scene, is having her lines done in ADR because they evidently weren't good enough that day so that to get her to come back in and dub over them. So I'm watching this scene and I'm watching these two actors who I haven't seen act against each other that often, if ever, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, please never have them act against each other ever again because it is oil and water. They just do not go together at all. Yeah, Hugh says, if I had the time, I would have a kid. That threw me for a fucking loop. This guy could barely even comprehend the idea of being in a fucking relationship like a month ago. Now he's like, I want kids. If he had time. If he had time. But that's the thing. They're setting it up of this found family thing. But like, at no point during any of the show have we had a comprehensive idea of Hugh as a character, let alone him in a relationship, let alone the idea of him being a parent. I could not tell you, if I watched season one, in which that was, okay, if we did this show, and that season, this season had aired, and we were doing season one, I would have been looking wholeheartedly to see if them, when they're in their healthiest form of their relationship, if they were a couple that wanted kids. Because wanting kids is not the default. No. It is not automatically. Not everybody wants children. Not everybody can have children. Yeah. It is a choice that people get to make. Neither of them seem like people to me that were ever interested in um Like Stamets parenthood. is clearly more interested in his research. Until Adira comes along. Until Adira comes along. And then Hugh just happens to say in this episode, Oh, oh I'm also interested in children in my life. Because... There's no way for them to communicate ever that Hugh has any interest other than just to say it out loud randomly. And it really does throw you for a loop. You're like, oh, I guess this is a fact I'm learning now. If I had time, I'd poison your children. If I had time, I'd have children. Now, do you want my help or not? What would you give this episode? A yum or a yum yum? Yum. Yum. I give this episode a yum. Yum. It's just 
boring and terrible and bland and just it I still don't think it's even the worst one of the worst no. episodes of the entire show. I still think Wolf Inside is worse than this. I still think Light and Shadows is worse than this. But this is a thankless episode. This is just joyless, pathetic, embarrassing, cringy. I've already forgotten about most of it. So, do you want to hear about the next episode we will be discussing? Suffering. No. This could be really good. This could be the savior. Um we are going to be discussing for the next episode the first part of a double parter, Terra Firma Part 1, which is episode 9 of season 3. So the plot synopsis of Terra Firma Part 1, according to IMDb, is as such. The USS Discovery crew journey to a mysterious planet in hopes of finding a cure for Giorgio's deteriorating condition. Stamets and Adira make a stunning breakthrough with newly acquired burn data. CBS All Access. CBS All Access. Rachel, where can the people find us online? What social medias are we on where they can interact and follow us? Well, if they check out that description, they will see those links to Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and our Patreon. Don't forget Twitter. Twitter. Uh, Most of those can be found by searching Yum Yum Pod. Or Yum Yum Podcast. Mm -hmm. We have a Patreon in which we talk about other things. We talk about the movies. We talk about other episodes of Star Trek from all the other series. We also give our thoughts on other things, whether they be video games, mainly TV shows. Um, So check out our Patreon, Yum Yum Podcast, on Patreon. All of this is in the description, and we have our email address, yumyumpod at gmail.com, that you can email us at and let us know your opinions, thoughts, questions, queries, and concerns. Rachel, what should people also do? do? What? Oh, I thought you were going to say that it should give us a yum-yum. Oh, yeah. It would be great if you could give us a yum-yum, which, you know, is obviously five stars or ten stars on or whatever po- podcast allows. Yeah, just write yum-yum over and over and over again, and we'll know that you like our show very much. Uh, well, that's it, Rach. We're going to have to finish this episode off by uh, referencing that Grudge is fat and Grudge is a cat. And that is a fact. Rachel, did you know Grudge is fat? Yes, and I knew Grudge is a cat. And thanks to the Endorian, I know that she is a pet. Did you know that she is Is a a queen? queen?